Well, Merry Christmas, saints. <laughs> Will y'all just for a moment uh, help us welcome those who, uh, for whatever reason, providentially or perhaps uh, their house is full of family this morning. Will you help us welcome those who are watching via online? We're always tickled to have you and to thank you for being a part of what God's doing. I have a, just a, a brief word to just put our uh, hearts and thoughts around what this day is all about from Scripture. Uh, our guests that are here today in this room, Christy and I, uh, in just a few moments, we're going to, uh, uh, Pastor Richie's going to close us out after a season of invitation when Pastor Mike is done. And then Chris and I, my wife, we're going to go right out that door and we're going to go back to what's called Connection Point. I got tickled. We had some visitors, second time visitors here this morning in the first service. And uh, the, the lady said, hey, this is my second Sunday. I wandered around this building for 40 minutes trying to find you. Where is this meet and greet room? I said, ma'am, I can't explain it. I, you just, um, you'll have to come back. So we got them to come back at least one more week so that they can, we can say hi to them. If you're a guest, just stop some, some folks that look like they're not lost and they'll point you to the connection point. Christy and I would love to say good morning to you and to greet you in the name of the Lord. I want you to take your copy of God's word very quickly. Go to Luke chapter two. Is there any other text uh, that deserves our attention on this Christmas morning? Uh, the gospel of Luke chapter two, and we're going to begin in just a moment at verse one. And while you're finding Luke chapter two, verse one, when um, I met uh, Christina Renee, uh, now my wife of 30 plus years, uh, we came from very different backgrounds from very different experiences. So much so that I was taken a little back uh, when we started dating uh, our first Christmas together before uh, being married the next year. Uh, spending Christmas with her family was um, so unique. It was, it was so different. I had a hard time processing it. They had a very defined Christian traditions, uh, not to uh, in any way be critical of my family. It's just not something that was part of our Christmas experience. So one of the things that her family did every year is they made it a priority. They had a series of Christmas movies that they watched. And we didn't have that in my home. The closest thing we got to a Christmas tradition was uh, die hard watching Bruce Willis blow stuff up. And that was kind of it for us. I really didn't have any Christmas movie traditions. But they did, and um, much to their surprise, uh, in my 20s, they asked me, if, have you ever seen this movie? And I said, no. In fact, I've never heard of this movie. So we sat down in their living room, and uh, the house was decorated beautifully, and the family was there uh, to watch this movie. When they turned it on, it came on black and white, and I thought, well, this is going to be a perfect waste of an hour and a half of my life <laughs> to watch some black and white movie. And uh, if you've not caught on to it yet, it was a guy by the name of George Bailey. It's a wonderful life. Now, I've got to be, can't, I've got to be honest. I'm surprised how many people have not seen that movie. In fact, I'm just going to ask in this room, how many of you have never seen It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, let us pray. <laughs> what in the world? Pastor West, you have not seen It's a Wonderful Life? We're revoking your ordination. How in the world? <laughs> You are kidding. Becky, you've got to help this guy out. So if you've not seen It's a Wonderful Life, let me just say this first and foremost. You got to watch the black and white. Okay. They, they colorized it, but that's for communists. You got to watch the black and white. Okay. Number two, it's, it's centered around a guy by the name of George Bailey, 
who really has a series of setbacks that are just aggravating, catastrophic. He lives in a, a quaint little town called Bedford Falls. And I won't bore you with all the details other than to say, George uh, comes to a crisis in life. Not unlike what we're going to read here in just a moment. It's not obvious to the casual reader of the Word of God what's going on because we have, we've tended to sand down the romance to smooth out some of the rough edges of this gospel narrative in Luke. George Bailey decides he didn't want to live. In fact, so much so that he decides that everybody would be better off if he'd have never been born. Very scriptural language. In fact, that Job says that. I, I wish I'd have never been born. Well, in the midst of this, uh, there's an angel that shows up. And he's rather a goofy little dude named Clarence. He's an interesting character. Well, they acquiesce to George's request. And they let him go back to Bedford Falls and see what life was like without his impact and his influence on that city. And it, I promise you, it's worth your time. So I say all that to say this. Can you imagine what life would be like? Do away with the trees, take the lights down, put the packages away. Can you imagine what this morning would be like had there not been the birth of Jesus Christ? The agony. The, the hopelessness, those of you in this room that are spending your very first Christmas with, with an empty seat, or this is the third or fourth, and it's still no better. There's, their, their absence is still a very tangible presence in your life because we have told you religiously and wrongly, you'll get over it. Things will get better when you bury them. You'll, no, you won't. That, that, that's not true. You will get through it, but you'll never get over it because they were an integral part of your life. So God in heaven knew we weren't going to be able to get through it without the hope of the gospel. And that's why we have to read Luke chapter 2. If you're ready, say amen. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the lineage and the house of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was uh, with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed, that she should be delivered, that uh, her child should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Father, in the name of Jesus, may you bless the reading of your word. Thank you for the sweet reminder of what it means truly as a follower of Jesus to celebrate the birth of our Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to give you three very quick, simple thoughts to hang your heart and mind on. When you get to this text, um, it, it's not immediately obvious. In fact, some of the names that, you're, that you would be uh, familiar with that are not in the text, that's the miracle of God's infallible word. You have the very limited real estate. You, you have 66 books and a, a little over 31,000 verses. And yet in the, in the infinite wisdom of God, he's able to take all of that, reduce it to the Bible, and yet at the same time, not leave out one detail, not one comma, not one period that's not 
necessary for us to understand the fullness and the accuracy of his word. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Now, if you're not taking notes, guess what? I want you to write this down. Because you have the very three simple, simple thoughts that I want you to get a hold of very quickly. I, I want to talk to you first about the divine interruptions. We have romanced um, the, the narrative a little bit. Now, it's not that it wasn't a special, holy, magic, uh, uh, majestic moment. It's just that if you look at the world that is around the birth of Messiah, it's in turmoil. In fact, if I could just give you a quick 60-second survey of the text historically. You and I, we don't know much about this guy named um, Caesar Augustus. Caesar is a title like President Biden, President Trump, President Bush. It's just a title for someone that is possessing or currently holding the office. Um, Augustus was actually born Octavian. He is a great nephew to uh, a guy I guarantee most of you have heard of. His name was Julius Caesar. One of the most influential, one of the most powerful men in all of Roman history. Julius Caesar uh, began to watch his great nephew Octavian and he noticed that he was precocious. He had a propensity for a wisdom beyond his years. He was developing uh, in intellectual pursuits that kids his age didn't normally do. So he adopted him legally as his own son. Well, you know what happened to Julius, ete brute. They went to a deacon's meeting and it got bad. Y'all say amen. That's the King James Version, but that's close to what happened. So Julius passes off the scene. The Roman Empire is up in complete turmoil. Now you're just a few years from the birth of Messiah. Uh, the kingdom is, is being torn apart uh, by Octavian who has ascended to, to uh, the Roman position of authority. But there's a dude by the name of Mark Anthony and he fell in love with a gal by the name of Cleopatra. Somebody say amen. Y'all read history. I'm a high school dropout. Y'all all know this stuff a lot better than me. Cleopatra, Mark Anthony, marshal a great army. And they're going to come into the Mediterranean and they're going to sack Octavian, who's now Augustus. And they're going to overthrow him, take over the Roman Empire. Well, you know what happened. They didn't prevail. They end up uh, hightailing it out of town. They make their way back to Egypt where Cleopatra was from. Her Mark Anthony, knowing that they're going to be left to the ravages of a lost war. They're going to be tortured and, and humiliated. They're going to be paraded through town by, uh, 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 by uh, Caesar Augustus. So they, they lay down on a daybed. And she commands uh, her servants to release vipers at the foot of the bed, and they both die from snake bites. And Augustus Caesar, Caesar Augustus rises to authority, and in the middle of all this chaos, the birth of the Son of God takes place. I want you to listen to me. Don't ever judge the heart of the Father by the politics of the land. Don't ever render a verdict on the power of an omnipotent God based on the political chaos of the moment. Doesn't matter what you're going through personally or politically, financially or physically, God is in control. There are times when God will, by divine interruption, now let me see if I can make this practical as we hasten to a close. Mary's just minding her own business. She's a virtuous young lady. She's falling deeply in love 
with, with a very fine, righteous young man. They've already been betrothed. The dowry has been committed. The date has not yet been set, but a betrothal is as binding. In fact, if you were engaged, betrothed, you had to actually go through the legal process of getting a divorce, even though you hadn't actually fully gotten married yet. And there is this divine interruption where planning the wedding, an angel says, Hey, Mary, I got some news for you, and it's going to be a little tough to explain to Joseph, but you're going to be great with child. Uh, I'm not sure where you are in your holiday hop. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't know where you are in all of your festivities, but um, I promise you that if you'll look beyond the food and you'll look beyond the tree and the gifts, there may be some divine interruptions. And folks that have come to your house, they, they may have it all together on the outside. They may be driving the latest model, wearing the greatest fashion. They may have the most expensive gifts to bring. But the truth of the matter is, life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. And you have something they couldn't find on Amazon. There's something about your house that has the sweetest calming effect on them. And they really can't explain it. And they even looked at them wallflowers all plug all over the house that make us sneeze like cats. And they think it's a special candle that you picked up somewhere. Or maybe it's the ambiance of the music or the, or the fragrance of the food. They just can't figure what is it that's different about your house. Let me tell you something. You cannot counterfeit nor manufacture the presence of the Holy Spirit. There may be a divine interruption. And if in the midst of all this celebration and all of these, all the gift giving and, and enjoying the time together and maybe going home and getting right with God, Pastor West, and watching It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> do you know there could be a divine interruption? When Chris and I got married, as I alluded to just a moment ago, her family, uh, it was a total different experience. So much so that our first couple of Christmases together, I say this to my shame, I was so uncomfortable with her family, the camaraderie that they had. And specifically, uh, I, when we would go to her grandparents' house and all the family would cram into that house, the men did something I'd never seen men do. In fact, it, it was not only something we didn't do in my, in my family, it was frowned heavily upon um, and it would have never been accepted. In fact, you would have been shamed for it. So when you got, it didn't matter if it was Christmas or Thanksgiving or Groundhog Day. If they got together, the very first thing that happened when you walked in the door of her grandparents is all the men hugged each other and they kissed each other on the side of the head and they just embraced. And I've got to be candid with you. It made me very uncomfortable. I didn't grow up around that. In fact, I had my suspicions of why they were doing that. I didn't like it. I'd get her in the house and I'd sit in the car. Or if we were celebrating Christmas, they'd all be in the living room and I'd go to the back room and just sit and be quiet. I just didn't know what to do with them. And about our third or fourth Christmas on in, the Holy Spirit really began to deal with my heart and reveal my own, my own woundedness, my judgmentalness. And I was still sitting in the back room all by myself. And, uh, when they got together, you, you, you it was, y'all ever heard of the Proud Family? Y'all remember that cartoon? Well, I was part of the Loud Family. The, the glass would break. They'd laugh and play music and sing, and I could hear them all in there. And uh, I sensed that God was trying to teach me something, but I was resistant to it because of just who I was in my own humanity. And I was sitting in the back room watching a little black and white television, and one of her cousins, who I didn't really know much about, I just knew that he'd... Uh, 
uh, he wasn't too crazy about the crowd as well. He eased in and sat down beside me. Didn't say much. We just kind of sat there in our own rebellious silence. And the Holy Spirit of God said to me, um, share the gospel with him. And I, I said just in my own heart, uh-uh. <laughs> These are the holiest people I've ever been around. Hugging, kissing, singing, celebrating. I, he doesn't need the gospel. He grew up in this. And the Holy Spirit said, tell him your story. And I said in my heart, Lord, I am not going to tell this dude how bad I was. I'm not doing it. They already know because their grandmother hated me to begin with. You know, Brother Mike said he wanted Chris to sing, Grandma ran over, got ran over by a reindeer. I, I leaned over Chris and I said, I didn't know Brother Mike knew your grandmother. <laughs> we had a mutual disdain for each other. Now, later on in her life, we, we began to warm up to one another. And I even preached her funeral. It was a great day. Anyway, um, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She did ask me to preach her funeral, which I did several times. So... And we, we, know, we find, listen, the bottom line is, I understand it more. Just trust me, the older you get, the two things are going to happen. You're going to figure out how ignorant you are. Come on, y'all. And you're going to figure out your parents are some of the most brilliant people you've ever been around because they try to tell you these things. You're too smart to receive them. And there was no man ever going to be good enough for Christina Renee. Wouldn't have mattered who I was. She was not going to like me. Well, I'm sitting in this room. I'm listening to them playing music and singing songs and, and they had all these traditions that they were rejoicing in. And I'm sitting in that back room with her cousin and I just turned to him and said, can I share with you what Jesus did in my life? And make a long story short, in about 10 minutes, both of us on our knees on the floor of that back little den, he got saved on that Christmas day because God had a divine interruption. Now you couldn't, you could not have explained all of that in this narrative. How in the world do we get drug out of Nazareth to go many hours south with a woman that is 14 months pregnant named Mary? How in the world do you explain the divine interruption like that? It was all orchestrated by God. And I'm telling you, if you'll just look beyond all the beauty of what we get to celebrate and listen for divine interruptions, let the church say amen. amen. Now, not only is there, does he deal in divine interruptions, but he defies the impossible. Well, if you have your copy of God's word, go to Luke chapter one, and I want you to look at um, verse 37, and I want you to listen to, to the angel's response to Mary, who's not responding in disbelief. She's just, she's just at a loss of how could she biologically, a young girl who's never, ever known a man intimately, how is she going to have a child? And, and so the angel says to her, she said, this, this, this thing's impossible. Now, I want you to listen to what the angel says. She said, the angel says to Mary, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Yeah. Now, quite literally, don't take my word for this, but I want you to do your own homework. If you translate that verse in its original Greek, if you let it be just what it is, it literally says, for with God, no rhema is impossible. Now, what you and I hold by way of the, of the word of God is called the logos. We have the word of God written out, the divinely inspired, inerrant word of God. And there'll be times when you'll pick this book up 
And, and you'll read it, and theologically, it makes sense. Historically, it's over and over again, doubters and scoffers and mockers will say, oh, that never, ever happened. And I want you to know, lo and behold, some archaeologists will dig something out of the earth, and it will validate. Listen to me. The Scripture doesn't validate science because it doesn't have to. Science has to yield to the Scripture because it has to. So when you read this, there are times when it's just an anemic word. I'm, I'm not taking away from the, the power of it. I'm just telling you there's seasons when what you're doing is collecting theological information, and that's good. But I'm going to tell you something, beloved. There's times when what you need is a word from the word. I, I, am, I am reminded uh, in the agony of when our daughter uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and it was one of those situations that was just medically one of those things Chemo couldn't cure it. Radiation couldn't remove it. Surgery would get it, but it would probably come back, and it did. And we were left medically with just the reality that we were going to have to fight this cancer in our little girl. And I stole away to get in the Word of God not knowing. I I didn't know what God was going to do. I didn't understand why God was doing what He was doing. But by divine interruption, he He brought... in the midst of impossibility, I, I remember it. I'm just going through the word. I've read it a thousand times. But there were two places in the word of God where God spoke by rhema. Not just logos. Not just in the beginning God created. I mean something supernatural happened. That's why you have to have the Holy Spirit to take the cold words off the white page and set them down in your heart. If all you've ever experienced is the romance of Christmas, the sentimental value of exchanging gifts, if all you've ever had is walking an aisle, praying a prayer, getting in water, and becoming part of an ecclesiastical organization, I don't blame blame you for not coming to church. It's got to be one of the most boring, absolute banal things to ever do in the existence of humanity. Because what makes the church the church is not the pews or the carpet or the lights or the preacher or the music. What makes the church the church is the presence of God. And in that moment, off the page, popped a promise that became a rhema. And God said to me clearly, Jeff Laborg, This sickness is not unto death. You listen to what I'm going to tell you. Now, he didn't say it's going to come back. He just said, this sickness is not unto death. I couldn't tell you scientifically. I couldn't explain to you medically. I'm just telling you that in that moment, I got up from my private praise and prayer time because of a divine interruption in a chaotic season when our world was flying apart. There was a moment when God stepped in and said, I'm going to interrupt to show you the impossible. When you get a word from the word, listen to me, don't you let anybody take what the spirit has imparted out of the heart that's yielded to the Holy Spirit. Do you know why Christmas is so special? Because there's a promise. When you, when you last saw them, you spent your last Christmas with them. You didn't know it was the last. You had no clue the last time you held them, hugged them, and kissed them. It'd be the last time you'd see them. But I'm going to tell you what Christmas morning changed. It changed the fact that it won't be the last time you see them if they died in Christ. See, Christmas is not about what we've turned it into in America. I'm going to tell you what it's about. It's about the fact that when God saw us in our greatest need, he sent his greatest gift called Jesus. Can you imagine what a response to our plight? It's a war. It's a world broke out in war. 
Caesar's trying to conquer Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony's trying to do Cleopatra's bidding. The whole world's being ripped asunder. Israel is in the midst of this as nothing more than the spoils of war. And in the midst of it, he didn't send a warrior. He didn't send a president. He didn't send Trump. He didn't send Biden. He didn't send the Senate. Pelosi didn't even show up. How did he answer the greatest plight of humanity? Standing there, watching the demise and the death of a nation, what did he do? He wrapped his son in bone and sinew, brought him through the womb of a virgin. How do you respond to man's greatest need with an infant? Because that infant was born to die. Jesus Christ lived his whole life in the shadow of the cross. And while we celebrate the incarnation, I'm telling you the greatest gift is the resurrection of the one that they laid in that manger. Now, here's my last point. Y'all say amen. We're going home to play with Legos. Not only are there divine interruptions, not only does he defy the impossible, but he delivers us to the eternal. We are going to a land that's Christmas every morning. More real than the pew you sit on and the air you breathe. We're going to a place, and it won't be a babe in a manger. It'll be a king ruling high. How did that come about? Well, let me see if I can illustrate this as we close. The, um, I don't even know how I came across this story. I was reading a historical narrative uh, about some Scottish believers And in the midst of that historical reading, there was a physician at the turn of the last century that uh, in Scotland was heralded as one of the greatest, most benevolent, kindest, one of the most intelligent physicians of of that century. Uh, He died a rather untimely death, and the whole nation mourned his death because he had helped so many. When he passed, uh, unbeknown to his wife, he left her in a little bit of financial straits. He should have been a man of great wealth and material possession, but he knew Jesus, and because he knew Jesus, he was very benevolent. So when a family would come see him, and he had these cutting-edge abilities to help them, if they didn't have the means to pay, he would just simply put down in his ledger, he would put down a note. Well, when he died, his wife got that those ledgers from the years of him serving the community and helping people from all over Scotland. She opened them up trying to figure out, how are we broke? How is it that he was such a prominent physician and we have no means? Well, to her utter disbelief, what she discovered was there were thousands upon thousands of bills that had just never been paid by patients. So she did what she needed to do. Don't judge her. We don't know what her circumstances were. She hired a lawyer and she sued everybody that owed her husband money. They brought the big thick ledgers with the patient's And they laid him out on the judge's desk. And as they opened up the court, the judge began to go through the ledgers and he just closed them up and he handed them back to the clerk and he said to the physician's wife, ma'am, your case has been dismissed. She said, well, now wait a minute. You have books of evidence of the money these people owe. He said, yes, ma'am, I see that in that column, service rendered. But you see, ma'am, on this last column written in red ink, debt forgiven, insufficient funds to pay, they owe nothing. 
He said, ma'am, that's, that bill has been forgiven. And even from death, I can't extract payment. Do you know what happened one day? In our utter, total lostness, the Son of God opened up the book of our life and He wrote right on the end where we owed everything. And He wrote in red, paid in full. Jeff Labor can never pay this off, so I'll do it. And they had a triune council and said, how are we going to do it? And God the Father said, the wages of sin is death. And the Holy Spirit said, well, it is. I draw them to us, but they can't work their way. They can't go to church. They can't tithe enough, teach enough. They can't behave enough. I mean, their best 30 seconds isn't going to get them to us. And the son stood up and said, but I could go. And if I go, I'll pay it all. And on that first Christmas morning, written in red, God said, don't worry. This is a divine interruption to do the impossible, to offer you eternity. Because Christmas is is about going to heaven to be with the one that was born. Let's pray together.